You are tired of average. You want more out of life. You know you're capable of something greater. This show will help you become resilient in your home, at work, and in your community. Welcome to the Resilient Humans Podcast with your host, Kevin Wood. Welcome back to the Resilient Humans Podcast. And before we get started, I just have to apologize because my voice is not 100%, but I am going to do my best to talk the least, to allow my guests to do more of the talking today. It'll be a better show that way anyway. So uh, my guest today is Kyle Smith. He's a fellow Canadian coming in from Edmonton, Alberta. Um, We had an awesome chat not long ago on his podcast, uh, which is called the Limitless Life Podcast. I'll definitely uh, shove a link into the... uh, the bio here for us. Um, and I'm excited to see where this conversation goes. We have no script here other than the final question that I ask all my guests, but uh, Kyle, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, my dude. Very much appreciated. Yeah, man. So tell us a little bit about you. Let, let our listeners know what you've been up to um, with your life. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> a, a lot of areas to go on that one. You can go anywhere uh, with this. Let's see. Mm. Well, life's pretty cool. It's a, it's a journey. Uh, what I've been up to is what I've been up to actually, you know what a common denominator, there we go. What I've been up to would be the conscious pursuit of becoming the envisioned version of myself that I want, or the most self-actualized version, the self-transcendent version, the, the, the person that I'm evolving towards. So I guess to cover a lot of spots, that would be the common denominator is that persistent pursuit of self-betterment. Yeah. That sounds like a very productive time. Sometimes it's not. (laughs) (laughs) However, even in the times where there seemed to be the least amount of change, those were also the times where there is a solid amount of reflection and growth in those times where it hasn't been evidently progressing. I like that you said that a lot, oftentimes people see change as rough, you know, like, um, rough waters. Um, when oftentimes you can also experience change in calm seas, it doesn't always have to be rocking the boat. So that time for reflection is great when things aren't rocking up and down or going on a roller coaster for sure. I completely agree. I like, I use a lot of, uh, no surprise cause I'm from the East coast as well, but I use a lot of, uh, nautic, I guess nautic. Yeah. Nautic examples and nautical, a lot of yeah. the things. Yeah. The nautical examples. So I think, so even, even in the idea where, when you were describing it, where there was the calm waters and the rough waters, I was still envisioning how the captain of the ship is still in charge of directing the sailors to pivot the ship in accordance to survivability and where they want to go. So it's like, I recognize, like I had that vision where just hanging out on the ship contemplation, don't have to freaking scrounge for survival. It's abundant. And then during those rough waters, that's when you're in it and you have the choice of either do nothing and sink or really get everything together and try to push through that, uh, that raging storm in some cases. Love it. 
What do you see as your envisioned self? Give us a, a description of what that would be. Well, I got a couple. I'm going to put context into this too, because this is a framework that I have as well. So that I'm not just going and really like dumping some something way out there. But I have this principle or this philosophy that the person that we can become is already within us. It's just about stripping away the layers that are inauthentic to ourselves. So um, I believe it was Michelangelo that did the statue of David. Someone asked him, how is it that you saw the, how is it that you saw David in the marble? And he said that David was already in the marble. I had to remove the pieces for him to show. So I think that that is, that's a conscious decision that I am persistently making so that I can pivot accordingly. So it's like my North star. So we oftentimes, or at least for myself, looked back on the person I was, that was probably a little bit morally ambiguous, or maybe not exactly, not exactly behaving in a way that was a net positive to the way that I wanted to experience life. And until consciously deciding to mimic that future self, I was bringing that past self into the present, which was preventing progress. So instead of thinking back on the memories of who I was, I think forward of the person that I could be. And that person that I could be, I embody today to make the decisions that get me to that point. So it is a conscious practice. And I have this idea of the three main voices that we got going on. There's the primary voice, which is the one that I'm speaking with right now. And that's you as well, Kevin. And then there's the inner role model. Then there's the inner rival. And I put, I put characterizations to these. I, I used to be, uh, I, my very first thing when I was a kid, my very first vision of what I wanted to do for a job is a comic book artist. And so I just took that same sort of creative aspect and I recognized like life is to a degree, a game, or it could be in a lot of ways, a game where you're just developing the right skills to pursue a particular outcome. And then the person that you become along the way is what the real treat to getting the outcome is. So I have the role model, which I call the dapper dude. And that's an individual that is a net positive to not only himself, but the people around him, uh, brings abundance, has undeniably good vibes and is there to positively impact the people around him while persistently pursuing self-betterment and to be a savage servant to not only himself, but also to the people around him. So that's the inner role model. So if my primary voice is perceiving things as that role model would, then it's going to hopefully positively impact my present day decisions. Now on the opposite end, there's the inner rival. And that one, I, I named him uh, Mr. Simpleton. And uh, emphasis on the simp, because it was just a, a character that I was that I just did not like. It was morally ambiguous. It could have been um, a scarce scarce-minded individual putting up a front, but not actually behaving in alignment with the words that were said. That's, that's kind of like my filter of being able to go through things. So the primary voice, the role model and the rival, 
And then those were the first phases. And then the second one that I stole from Alex Hermosi is the frame of the veteran, I believe, where I have an 85-year-old version of myself that is in alignment with the, the inner role model, but already experienced the things that I've experienced. So I have a, a little uh, desktop part where I'll just go through and I'll have conversations. And then I'll just just kind of bounce ideas from myself. Because I think the thing that's really interesting is everybody, I believe that everybody knows the steps to take, but it's that they listen to their bad advice rather than their good advice. And if we listen to the same advice that we would give a loved one, then we would be able to accomplish all the things that we've ever wanted because we already know the information. It's about aligning our behaviors with the information. So that 85 year old self, that's like the, I imagine him like beard, pretty much the same way that I look now, <laughs> but I imagine him like when I'm quote unquote chatting with him through this, uh, uh, desktop conversation. I imagine I visualize uh, sitting on the front stoop of a cabin, uh, hanging out. He's wearing like a cap that's like pre very specific, but we're just like hanging out and like smoking a joint and then just chilling. And then we're just, uh, he's, we're just shooting back and forth. And it's interesting because what I've learned through this process is how to catch my own internal dialogue when it's veering towards a direction that's more self-flagellation than self-improvement. And what, what I've been able to do from there is not just practice grace and not just practice, um, yeah, not just practice grace, but a new one that I've been implementing that I've found to be very, very useful is practicing mercy. So rather than having grace with myself, I have mercy for myself when I find myself in those times where let's say it's like, I'm having an issue with a tech thing. I should already get this. Like this is the internal dialogue that I had literally yesterday. I should already get this. I consciously understand how to do it. Why can I swear? <laughs> Why the fuck can I not figure this out? And that opens up the floodgates of just like internal dialogue that is, uh, uh, what I would call a non-functioning opinion rather than a functioning opinion. But then I add, be merciful, create mercy, because then I can go from that scarcity up to that neutrality. Or if I have abundance, then I try to bring it down to neutrality as well. So I try to go in each direction to try keeping energy neutrality. And then to really answer the question, the only ceiling that we have to our mind is the ceiling that we have incorporated or we've adopted or we've created or we boxed ourselves in because the human mind and mind thoughts is that expansive is as expansive as the universe as a whole. So if we're looking at the expanding universe, it's creation focused. Creation creates survivability. That's why if we look around, we can see all the things that we have created for survivability. We don't need it, but it creates more comfort in our existence. So we don't need to pop up like fire pits all the time. We actually have heating. We don't need to wear sandals in the winter. We actually have boots. It takes creativity to come up with those solutions. Um, but the but with those limitations removed, I was out for a walk and I was like, you know what? 
I have my 85 year old self. What would my 700 year old self be like? And that one, that kind of vision is what I would call my, uh, I, I kind of look at the body with three minds. There's the human mind, the animal mind, and the higher mind, the human being, animal being, higher being. And so this vision of who that higher being of me would be is 700 years old. And I'm very much inspired by Leonardo da Vinci. So I totally stole it from this, but it's Kyle, the Vesicus Pisces and the Vesicus Pisces. If you're looking at a, a, a Zen diagram or a Venn diagram, there's the two circles that overlap that part in the overlap, that's the Vesicus Pisces. And the way that I observe that is that it is the duality between two things. So it is the energy neutrality between love and hate. It is the energy neutrality between abundance and scarcity. It is the energy neutrality between this and that, between life and death, between light and dark. And I have a theory that the closer to energy neutral I can become, the closer to that person I can be. And that will have uh, a ripple effect to accelerating wisdom and learning and gaining experience because I'm removing as many banners. I like to call it banners. So I have a thought that we are obligated to defend the banners we are bound to. And it's trying to make sure I'm trying to make sure that I'm really specific about what those banners are, whether they are consciously adopted or unconsciously adopted. And so that's kind of like how I frame things. What would, what would be an example of one of those banners that you're referring to? Ooh. Okay. So let's say, for example, I think, I think a really good one would be, you can go with a victor or a victim. A banner is a victor or a victim. You can, you can fight to be the victor or you can fight to be the victim. And I do believe that if people fought for what they want as hard as they fought for what they believe themselves to be incapable of, then that would remove a lot of the resistance to change. So if they fought harder to be a victor rather than a victim, then the external circumstances and world would actually reflect because it's a projection of a reflection. So a banner would be, okay, I went through this thing, this thing, this thing, and this thing. Thus, in accordance to what other people experience and believe, I adopt the beliefs, actions, behaviors, thoughts of other victims. However, does that have to be the case? So then it's going into that banner and really thinking like, do I really want to, do I really want to defend this banner? And then if the answer is no, then pivot. Okay. What would a victor look like? What would a victor behave like? What would a victor think like? What sort of decisions would a victor go with? So that would be one banner for sure. Um, I think one that's interesting, and this one was inspired by Sapiens, the book Sapiens, where the, only, the main thing that people or human beings fight amongst each other for is beliefs and conceptual, um, any, things that are conceptual that were created of the mind. So we're just all on the planet, right? So it's like nationality, for example, like, oh, we got a competition between 
uh, in football against uh, Ireland and Scotland, or I'm more of a rugby player. So I would go like New Zealand and France or something like that. And so it's that national, it's like national pride within that, that people fight for, or actually just sports teams. If they're waving the flag of a sports team, you got Edmonton and Calgary battle of Alberta. Every time that they're uh, fighting here or not fighting, sorry, that they're playing here. And so those are things too. It's like, Edmonton and Calgary will be like, oh, we're mortal enemies. It's like, why? So even so with that banner, I may be Canadian and born in Canada, but at the same time, I understand that my existence is just one of many that's before me from the beginning of time. So I remove, so one banner that I've consciously tried to remove is things that are not in alignment with that goal. So that would be a banner that I would actually go with that I've removed that I found to be a lot easier because I'm just a tenant, a temporary tenant of this world. And I think that everyone is. And if we viewed it in that kind of like a broader sense, rather than this little, little pocket of tribalism and ideological motivation, if we're able to expand our perception to a perspective, then we're able to see things with, once again, that energy neutrality. I remember reading years ago, the, the concept of tribes and how we wouldn't be here today if it weren't for that, that concept. Are you saying that we, where we are today, we don't necessarily need those, or there needs to be a balance of being tribe-like, but also having this bigger worldview? Ooh, that's a good one. I think, well, okay. This is a lame answer. Technically, I would go with both. So it's, so those are the two things of duality as well. Like I understand that broader as the world, we are connected as human beings. We're all made up of the same material in this universe. However, I believe that the most efficient number of people in a tribe was like 100 to 150. 150 was the max. 150. Yeah. So that also creates more problems afterwards. Because when you have 150, the reason as to why the tribe worked out so well is even if you weren't technically like next door neighbors, you still had an idea of who the people were. And I do believe that if that tribe is expanding, then people are going to find themselves uh, unsure of where they can kind of fit in and will decrease decrease what they believe to be correct in order to just find acceptance and appreciation and find value in whatever kind of aspect so i think that it starts as a tribe and a tribe can help flourish and i think once the a person flourishes to a certain degree then they find themselves in an echo chamber where they're just trying to reinforce what they've already believed that goes into perception. Then I think past that point, it goes to a worldly aspect where we're all human beings experiencing a finite period at a time. And then the, the worldly kind of view is there. Yeah. The, I think that would be the kind of the thing to it. So when an individual is practicing discernment and knowing what is appropriate to be at what time, that's when we can embody those two points. Mm, that was a great question. You got me thinking on that one, bro. 
Well, we, we talk about tribes often in the, uh, the micro gym space and that 150 is kind of like the, the glass ceiling for a lot of micro gyms. And once they go past that, it's hard for the, we'll call it the owner or the, uh, they have an icon issue where they're like the leader. Um, it's hard to have more than 150 people because they don't get to know every single person on a, on an individual basis. And so how do we break through that 150 glass ceiling that, that exists? And this is, I believe this is also true for, for tribes around the world. They create subgroups, just smaller, smaller tribes within the tribe. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's, that's how countries were born. And each country has its own villages and, and that was fine. They, they created, and that's how expansion happens. And so I haven't really thought about too much on my own personal gym on how we break through, but taking me out of the role of being the sole leader and having my trainers and my staff take up those roles makes it a hell of a lot easier to expand past that 150 point. Absolutely. Well, it's just like when you have generals too. Yes. So if there's conquest, <clears throat> the creator economy or the digital economy or the, uh, like a capitalist economy is it takes leadership to pursue a goal. And even if that goal is not like physically tangible, like maybe it's health. So you want to spread more health. Those generals are going to be able to assist in spreading that message even further. And, you know, I actually, so you got me on a thought there. So with, the question that you asked where it starts. So I'm kind of visualizing it like a funnel. So there starts with the smaller tribes, then it funnels out. Yep. And I do think that at a certain point, cause I'm trying to think of like, how is it that I behave where it's having that world focus or that human being focus. And I think that it goes from uh, an external growth, like a, an, an accumulation of resources, people, uh, skills, knowledge, that kind of stuff. It goes up. And then I believe that it goes to a point where it's like, hell yeah, we've expanded externally. There's a cap. Why is there a cap? And then I think that that goes internally from that point. So then it's like small point expand back into the foundation and then expand from there as well. So I think that when we go into that internal world, because that's a world that we can conquer as well. Uh, when we go into that internal world and for myself, I want to be a leader of undeniably good vibes. That's a characteristic that I want to actively have. And so I think once there's that cap of the tribe, then it's just the energy or the, the, the vibe that you bring to the other people where then every new person that you get to interact with is an opportunity for them to get that deep essence, that deep grounded, um, aspect. But I think over time, most, most folks go through that self-actualization process where it's like, shit, it's not just about me. It's not just about this tribe. It's about, developing internally and then expanding that outwards as well. So it's interesting. So it's like the deeper you go inwards, the broader of an impact you have outwards. And it's just like expansion, contraction. 
you mentioned uh, Alex Hormozzi earlier, and he he talks about this as well. That if if you had X amount of dollars, the best ROI will be to spend it on working on yourself. That's it. Absolutely, like, you can't get the same ROI chucking it into uh, the stock market or bonds or what it like. You put money on yourself, and you're going to win every single time. Absolutely. Absolutely. I totally, I totally agree with that. And yeah, he's got some knowledge bomb freaking quotes and would definitely say that. Cause this is the thing as well is when you're developing yourself, you're gaining more wisdom. And with that wisdom, you have more utility. And so it's not based off of what you have or the circumstances you find yourself in because you know the skill tree that you've developed as a character. And then you can bring that to the table at each and every time, no matter what the circumstances are. And that comes from not the accumulation of stuff or external sources, but it comes from the accumulation of, uh, or not the accumulation of, but the depth of understanding in the self. Mm making me think again <laughs> <laughs> that's cool <laughs> uh, when 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 you do invest in yourself you have the ability to influence the others around you mm -hmm. i think that's the most important component to it doing it and i'm sure there are people that do it for selfish reasons and it could be i want to get as many uh certificates on the wall as possible okay but why like, what's the purpose of that? What's it going to do? And so if you have this, it's a banner of service to others, then everything that you do or every everything that you do to invest in yourself, you're really investing in your community and the, your, your tribe and those people that are around you. Absolutely. Because yeah. then I like that certifications one because... I, I, when I first started as a personal trainer, like 13 years ago, I was one of the accumulation of certification folks, which in hindsight, if I just had more application rather than education, I would probably be able to learn things a lot quicker looking back on it now. And I use, use that more often where there's more implementation action. And, uh, I'm really, uh, I'm really mindful to make sure that I'm not going down the rabbit hole of more just for the sake of more. So more certifications or more YouTube videos or more podcasts until that one magical answer to whatever I'm trying to resolve, it pops up. There's something else that there's another thing that I find with like, let's say the accumulation of stuff and certifications, you just opened up like a, a whole thought thread on this one, dude. So certifications, I'm going to use as this example. So then there's more people accumulate more certifications or more stuff in order to look good rather than do good. So it may have the intention of doing good, but it looks really good to have a certification and you can still do good. And people are always going to observe and witness what people do rather than what people have have right yeah i agree because i was also on that that same boat and 
<clears throat> similar to that of reading books. Um, I see people go, oh, I'm going to read a book a week, 52 books in a year. Okay. How are you going to implement any of the knowledge if you're burning through books that quickly? So I would rather read one book. And then if something struck me, read it again and put that into practice. And so when I ask people for book recommendations, I specifically ask them, what book have you read more than once? Because mm. that will tell me that there's something in there that's valuable. And then I like to go exploring and find out what that is. I got two that for sure came to mind and three possible. Give me some. Uh, the very first one that immediately came to mind that I listened to uh, both. I listened to it on audiobook at double the speed because I just go through it. Then I listen to it regular speed and then really sink into it. And there's been two that have been this year. These are my, these are my 2023s. I'll go with that. That's a good one. Uh, the first one. Yeah, I got three. So the first one that I would recommend, oh shit. This is a tough one now. I'm trying to think of the order. Anyways, no, no particular order. We'll just go with that. Uh, the first one that came to mind is The Creative Act by Rick Rubin, A Way of Being. Uh, very, if you're familiar with uh, like the Tao Te Ching, it's very philosophical. It's really cool. He, so he's worked, he, Rick Rubin is a producer for like the Red Hot Chili Peppers, BC Boys, stuff like that. But he, he doesn't speak of himself and he doesn't speak of the people he's worked with. It's not a biography, but it's a note on principles that has helped him foster creativity, not only in himself, but in the uh, musicians and the artists around him. So the thing that, the thing that I learned from that book that's most prominent is whatever you're doing, treat it as a piece of art. And if you're experiencing life, you're creating a life you want. You're uh, creating the person that you want to be. You're show, like how you show up is a creation of your imagination. And so when we're looking at things as a piece of art or our art, more specifically, not just a piece of art, but it's our art, then we get to invest our like heart and our soul into it, not just finishing it or doing it to do it. We actually want to put a part of ourselves within that art piece because that's, that's where that one goes. So that would be, uh, yeah, that would be the main thing that I learned from that one. And then uh, another one that I really freaking dig and him narrating it. It's like, you're hanging out with your uncle. You're just chillaxing and it's just so calming, like so calming. And the way the book's written as well is really artistic too. It's not just paragraphs. Some are just, it's all over the place. It's more like a poem, how it's written out. So it's really like a pretty book. And then one that I really, really enjoy, audiobook specific. What was the name of that second book? You didn't say the title. The second book is uh, Greenlight by Matthew McConaughey. Right on. That one, <laughs> yeah, right on, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. That one was very entertaining to listen to. Uh, similar kind of idea where he was coming up with his own principles. He wrote it at the age of 50 and reflected on the last like half, 
uh, century of his life and really insightful. It's the thing that I took from there is always be open to messages or always be open to recommendations or always be open to opportunities Mm -hmm. and being able to go into an opportunity and just see what happens could potentially change the trajectory of someone's life with the lowest amount of input. And that's just saying yes. And then also you can say no to certain things too, but saying yes to that opportunity. And I I, I like what Steve Jobs says where he's like, you can only connect the dots looking backwards and forwards. So when you're looking back at us at like, a lifetime, you can see how the dots connect, even though at the time it seemed random, yep. but then you have a series of cosmic coincidences that just put you in the right place at the right time with the right people, with the right circumstances. And that's why I like the, the, the formula that luck is opportunity plus preparation, opportunity plus preparation equals luck. The more opportunity that you expose yourself to, the more preparation that you get to uh, set up for yourself. So you have uncontrollable plus controllable equals higher abundance. And yeah, that would be, that would be the second book that freaking awesome. Uh, a catalyst book. I can, I call it a catalyst book because that's one of the points where I can look back and I'm like this book, it was from this book that I can see how the branches of my timeline have like got me here. And it's a comfort crisis by Michael Easter. Shit. That's on my list right here. Yeah, buddy. Dude, it's, the top it's my so list. good. It is yes. so good. It is so fucking good. Like, and I like it because it's it's eye-opening because, and I just re- read his second book too, Scarcity Brain. Uh, Comfort Crisis had more of an impact on me, but Scarcity Brain was still very, it had a nice little yin-yang style to it nice. because something that he said in Scarcity Brain that I'm going to be able to loop back from my takeaway from comfort crisis is that we have an evolutionary mismatch. So we are predisposed to scarcity because resources equals survivability. So if we accumulate more resources back in the day, then we have more, uh, a higher probability of longer survivability. So it'd be like, we're creating a bunch of knives. Okay. Let's say we have a couple bones. We create five different knives. Now we not only have five knives, we also have trade uh, five bargaining tools. We can trade with those and then accumulate more resources. So our brain is still focused on the accumulation of more resources for survivability. However, we are in, at least in North America, we are in an abundant environment. So we are program for scarcity, but we're in an abundant environment. So we still desire more, but then that's, that's to our detriment. If we, uh, just follow our, uh, impulses unconsciously. And a cool example that I think of is, uh, Marcus Aurelius was back in the day when he was the emperor, the philosophical emperor of Rome, uh, he had the most power of anyone on the planet at that point in time, right? He still practiced temperance in that time of his abundance. We have more abundance and more power in our hand and in our cell phones 
than a Roman yeah. emperor, but we have none of the temperance, none of the discipline, none of the conscious interaction. And I'm not saying like, I say none, but realistically it's just unconscious. Like we don't see the possibility of what it is. And we just give into impulse unconsciously. It's kind of crazy. I, I totally agree with that. And I also see that as an opportunity to push and promote doing hard things where scarcity is required. And so I'm looking at my, my patch board here. When I do go ruck events, you don't get to bring a cell phone. You don't get, you get nothing. You get extra weight on your back and that's it. And you go for six, 12 or 48 hours and you just, you go and you see what you got. And then that really strips down all of the, abundance that you think you needed to raw it's it's raw and it's real you you only need each other and that's the lesson that i've learned over the 23 plus events that i've done over the last few years with them so um, that's sick yeah i'll put that on my bucket list i'll do an event man there there's something else they they teach you so much um not only lessons from the military, which is where they're all from. They're all special forces. Um, but they teach you more about yourself than any book or any podcast will ever, ever teach you in your life because it, you're there. You're experiencing it in the darkest depths of the night. And you got a 120 pound sandbag on your back. You're going to learn how to ask for help. Yeah. You're really going to learn very, very quickly that you can't do it by yourself and that it takes a community. And so when you, when you leave there, it makes you appreciate so much more that you have in your life, like so much more. It's crazy. I need to get back into them. We haven't done, my wife and I used to do them all the time, uh, pre-pandemic, but we haven't done any since. So we got to get back there. Yeah. That's sick. Kyle, I'd like to hear what your, this is obviously the Resilient Humans podcast and you, you obviously help, uh, preach resiliency. I'd love to hear what your definition of resiliency is in your own words. Mm, mm, let me ponder this one. It's a noodle scratcher for some people. <laughs> mm. Resiliency. Mm, let me breathe into this one. First part that came to mind was, or is resiliency is an acquired characteristic. Resiliency is an acquired characteristic. Resiliency is an acquired characteristic. I'm not going to leave it there. There's going to, there's something else. There's just crock potting, crock potting. It's slow cooking. Okay. Yeah. Resiliency is an acquired trait. Semicolon. 
Resiliency is the practice of persistence. Mm. Resiliency is enthusiastic persistence. So resiliency is the ability to push into where you may have a scarce mind. So I think there's resi resiliency and then there's sensitivity. So if there's, if that's the continuum, then to push towards resiliency is to reject or make peace with the aspects of our sensitivity that is no longer serving us. And it takes resiliency and enthusiastic pursuit in that difficult endeavor that produces a resilient character trait. There we go. Thanks. There Something like that. <laughs> yeah. How would you, well, first off, I agree with you that it is acquired, meaning you, you need to, you earn it. It's a, it's a developmental trait. Um, it's not just, I have it or I don't like I was born with it or not. Um, I believe that every individual can develop the trait or the characteristic of resiliency that, that I know for, for certain, um, the enthusiastic pursuit of persistence. I'm going to challenge you on the enthusiasm part. Go for it. Oftentimes when people go through, and I'm, I'm just thinking back to all of the people that I've interviewed on this, this podcast before, not all were enthusiastic about the situation that they were dealt or mm -hmm. put into, yet still persevered through it, mm -hmm. but then took that experience and enthusiastically showed others how to also be resilient through challenging things. Mm -hmm. So that's where I'll just challenge you during that, that pursuit. I don't think enthusiasm is a prerequisite as long as it's, it's shown at some point along the path. Mm. What would you consider the opposite of enthusiasm? I've never, I've never pondered that. I think, uh, like bland, that's the word that comes to mind. Mm -hmm. Just like tan, <laughs> like the color, actually... a color just came into my mind. Just like enthusiasm to me, I, I see like fireworks and, and high energy and, and the opposite of that is a lack of color, no fireworks, uh, very dull. So I actually really like that. I was struggling to come up with something because I was like, what was the opposite on the continuum? So I have, a, I have a rebuttal on it now. It's not, it's not in it that we experience enthusiasm or blandness. It's in the pursuit of. So it's the outcome that we are enthusiastic for or bland for. It's not the activity itself because in both timelines, the doing sucks. 
And I think of it where whether you're disciplined or undisciplined, both are difficult. If you're undisciplined, you have to experience no change. And that's difficult. When you're disciplined, you experience the difficulty of pursuing change. So both of those suck. However, if the outcome where you're going from a pit to a pedestal, or you're in a spot where it's like what you're talking about, where it's not, a, it's not a place that you could be enthusiastic about, but you can change the perception of the end point. So people are not going to pursue bland goals. They're going to choose enthusiastic goals. So it's not during that you've experienced enthusiasm, but you can utilize, okay, this is kind of a cool idea. You can utilize enthusiasm as a tool in the times where the process is bland. I like so that. the activity could be boring as fuck. However, you can be enthusiastic about what that thing is going to get you. It's kind of like when, yeah, yeah. Yeah, period. period. That, that was good. Leave it, leave it there. I also always ask my guests, what is one piece of advice that you could give to our listeners to be more practically resilient in their life today? Keep up the kindness. What does that look like? That's nice to say. Yeah. How do we do that? Well, it works. Well, one thing would be defining it, defining what exactly kindness is. And then uh, I have this thought that what we are lacking in the most is the thing that we could probably or would be in our best interest to project the most. So if we find ourselves in an environment that is not kind, there's a really good chance that we are not kind. And I find that kindness is also an acquired trait, but is more difficult for people on if they want more or if they're thinking me, me, me. But if we shift it from me to we, then it's easier to be kind because then, for example, I see parts of me within yourself. And so that's like, that's how I can see it. It's like, oh, this guy likes challenging himself, likes his knowledge bombs. And I think that there's like, a, that's not by accident. I think that it's, it's a similar kind of, it, we, are, we are reciprocating the same energy back and forth. I'm glad where, you said that word. That's it. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. And so I think, I think practically kindness is treating, treating yourself as you wish to be treated. And then it's going to project outwards. So by keeping up the kindness, I would actually say from a general standpoint in most social circles, you may be an outlier where people may be in a scarce mind you could be an abundant mind and you can keep up the kindness and create a space for yourself to do whatever you need to do. Or you can also create a space for others when you got your own shenanigans dialed in. So I think keeping up the kindness would is the first thing that came to mind. Yeah. But you, you can totally challenge me on that one. Cause you got me uh, thinking on some stuff. That's no, all good. Totally agree. Um, I believe kindness is one of the, um, one of the softer aspects of, of being a resilient human. I mm -hmm. just posted this recently, a, a picture of a scale and showing there's kind of two sides to it. Mm 
There's the hard, gritty aspect of the resiliency component, but there's also a softer side. And I feel that you need to be balanced in both. Mm-hmm. If somebody is too tipped on one side of the of the scale where everything's hard, challenge, adversity, they're really just a dick. Agreed. And then because they don't have any kindness, compassion, uh, empathy, right? And then likewise, if you're tipped on too hard on the other side, well, then you're soft. You're just, you, you're going to get ro- steamrolled with life because you don't have that ability to show tenacity or to struggle through challenge and come out on the other side unscathed. So I feel that that balance of both is extremely important. And I think kindness definitely fits on, on one side of that, that balanced resiliency. Absolutely agree. Cause then you can, I like that. I'm pretty sure almost, I'm pretty sure many people have heard the Japanese proverb where it's being a warrior in a garden rather than a gardener in a war. I think that the kindest people, this is actually a cool way of putting it. So I think of Gandhi with this one. So the kindest people are oftentimes the ones that have that not have, but understand the degree of violence they are capable of. So Gandhi wasn't capable of preaching peace until he understood the degree of violence he could, could have, could uh, instill because he even said when he was part of the British military, where he was like, not like special ops, but basically pretty up there in the military. Right. And uh, he still said, even till like his later years, when he was preaching peace, that he believed that he still didn't do enough for the British empire, which is kind of crazy. Like that's crazy. But I believe that for someone to understand the degree of kindness or peace that they can experience, it's understanding the degree of resiliency and violence that someone is capable of as well. I don't think resiliency and violence are in the same thing, but I kind of like look at it. I'm kind of looking at it in like that kind of flow, I guess. Hmm. Cool. Kyle, it's been an awesome opportunity to connect with you. Man, I'm surprised my voice is still holding up here. Yeah. <laughs> dude, definitely... It's like 2 a.m., 2 a.m. radio host. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> yeah. It's all good. Kyle, how can people find you um, on the socials? Where can they get in touch with you? Dapper Dude Kyle, pretty much everywhere. I'm on the TikToks, I'm on the Instas, I'm on the Facebook. You can friend me if you want, I don't mind. Uh, Kyle Smith, you can try to Google me. I don't know, there's gonna be a lot of those Kyle Smiths. But uh, YouTube, those are all the places. If you want to chat, Instagram is probably the easiest one. And I also have a podcast called The Limitless Life Podcast with me, Kyle Smith. That's probably the easiest place to find everything. And that's, that's it. Yep. Well, you have a great podcast with great guests. Uh, I know one personally, <laughs> actually, I know a few personally now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Again, Kyle, anything that you'd like to share before, uh, before we sign off for today? Mm. Just trying to feel something was coming, but nothing came to mind immediately, but I'll be it. Cool. Appreciate you, Kyle, and enjoy the new year. I know it will, you're, you are creating your own abundance in what you're doing and what you're putting out to the world. So I truly appreciate that because it just inspires me and others to do the same. Oh, thanks, man. Appreciate it. Take care. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with others or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest episodes, be sure to subscribe and I'll see you next time.